And welcome back. How are we getting on, lads? Good. I'm good. Today we're joined um, by a very special man. Uh, Dermot, how about you introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Dermot. I'm in West Kerry uh, from via Wexford. Um, I live on a small little plot of land overlooking Fiontra in, uh, in, in West Kerry and we were only here since April, but we got a good growing season in and we're harvesting plenty. Um, and I, my work is, tends to be a little more out of Kerry. It can be hard to get work down here in West Kerry. So I go up to different GA grounds around the country to do commentating jobs uh, and generally work with TG Cahar, uh, who I suppose I'm... Yeah, I have a fairly serious interest in the in the language and the possibilities and the potential of the language. Uh, and on the back of that, we founded Wild Irish Retreat down here three or four years ago to try and create the conditions in which the language can come to life in people again. And that's been working. That's been working a treat. Definitely. Um, yeah, been, Wild Irish Retreats. Oh, go on, sorry. I was about to say, there's been a big story in Kerry down this week now with, with, with Fungi, right? A lot of people yeah. think he's... Well, people think he's dead. He might be on retreat out in uh, one of the islands. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a it's a there's there's varying uh, attitudes to it. I think down here there's some people are very dependent on on fungi for uh, their way of life. Uh, yeah. For a lot of people, he just has there's just a big a big connection with him. You know, mm. um, just from experience of being out seeing a dolphin and interacting with a dolphin for, for, for many people the first time. So, yeah, it's interesting to see how the national, the national response to it and the different ideas people have uh, and the, the cynicism that they can take or the, yeah, the positive reflections that they have as well. So, yeah, we're at the centre of some kind of a story this week, all right. It's been, it's, uh, it's gets, gets so, there's some bit of respite in a way in that it's no relation to covid and nobody has to be talking about that for four minutes in the day, which is great. Yeah, uh, we, as much as we try to avoid it, it normally comes up in conversation. The old COVID. Yeah, for sure. It's hard for to sure. ignore. Uh, it's the elephant in the room, or in the mm. world. Um, but yeah, just going back on Fungi there, he's uh, it's, it's really weird our obsession with this dolphin. Mm. Uh, obviously, I don't think it's the same dolphin. I don't think dolphins live that long. I think it just changed over time. That, that's that's a national secret. That's the rumor. That's the rumor. I, I don't know. Like, there's, there's I, it's it's great when you actually. I, I've been picked up a couple of times hitchhiking by people who are, who consider themselves friends of of, dung, of fungi. They go in the winter time when the tourists don't come. They go out on small boats and, like these people go out every day. I'm not I'm not talking about once a month. Like these people go out every single day to. To hang out with him and make sure that he's in he's in good form. So they know him very very intimately. So uh, that uh, that story is there, and it's a local trick by the the cute whore West Kerry man to whatever whatever dolphin is in the bay that he, <coughs> he's passed off as fungi. But the 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 ones closest to him would would definitely tell you different. You know, our heart goes out to you, fungi. And sure, if you're, li- <laughs> if you're listening to this, come back soon. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, a national treasure, so he is. Um, but yeah, you're you live a more traditional lifestyle, a traditional Irish lifestyle, than anyone else I've ever heard of. Um, so, okay, you you speak the best Irish I've ever heard. Um, like de- definitely, and then like your interest in TG Carr is helping on that. But um, 
yeah, like even, even your wild Irish retreat thing, like just going out, talking Irish, doing these Irish traditions, just hanging out away from technology. It is really unique. How did you get into this that kind of stuff? Um, I, 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 I suppose I had to experience it for myself. Um, I came down to the Gaeltacht when I was 21 because I was training to be a primary school teacher and I came down with the same kind of blasé attitude towards the language as the majority of people would have, um, probably less than, less than blasé, quite negative probably. Uh, and I thought it was, you know, I associated with a language in school and it was something you had to learn and I had difficulties oh, with it yeah. and all of those things. Um, but I realized when after three days of just trying to speak it, I was in Harlem at Wexford at the time. And so I wasn't, uh, I wasn't drinking and I wasn't partying with the rest of the lads, which can, can often be the way on the, the stints in the Gaeltacht. Yeah. Um, and after about three days of trying to speak it, the language just came to life in me. Some kind of something was, there was some kind of uh, splunk, uh, like a, a, a spark, just something turned on a switch that I never knew even existed. So I don't know how that sound is now, but my little man is downstairs. Maybe he's coming in in the background. Uh, yeah, we, we can hear him. Yeah, fine. If you need to don't go, worry about it. We've had worse. We've had worse. <laughs> it's, his, it's his lament for the Irish language, I think. Um, <laughs> so trying to teach him the Mucknealock right now. Yeah, <laughs> the general response. But yeah, once that came in, um, I, I pursued it. Uh, and, and began teaching in, a, in an all-Irish school. And when I moved down here, then I suppose I realized that the richness of the language contained an awful lot of energy and wisdom and uh, knowledge that if I hadn't ever have taken those steps to explore, it would never have come across. And they just seemed to have been great allies to me that 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 source of energy and source of wisdom was a was a great ally so it was just from the pure experience i think i've seen the the benefits and joy uh, that it brought to my life and also how it rubbished the notion that i had and the way that i had learned the language similar to everybody else uh, 12 years in school of thinking that it was a chore or um something that we were forced to do or some romantic ideology that actually was very practical, very real benefits um, that made my life, I suppose, align with a different type yeah. of movement. And I gave it. A I was going to ask you about your opinion on the curriculum to Irish in the school. Yeah, definitely. Because it's, <laughs> I, I don't really? like it. I don't think it's good. I think that they try to, not even forcing it, but like it's it's too hard and unnecessary kind of stuff. Like, I I think I think I never learned a thing in there. I think I, I think it, write things down. I think I the one thing I would say is it is hard. Um, mm. The Irish language is, is is not an easy language to learn. No. Um, I, I was I've been doing a diploma for the last two years uh, and I, I thought once I kind of signed up for the diploma by the end of it I'd be, I'd be kind of sorted but I realized along the way that actually the way you have to think while speaking and and while writing is there there are things to be considered that are too deep for my for my intellect to be able to uh, grab a hold of in, a, in a very short space of time which is what conversation is that said I think if I asked the two E now to go away and design a curriculum for me where after 12 years, 
of speaking it and of learning it that people wouldn't be able to articulate how they are beyond the general answer to the question how are you uh, like where people can't actually connect with their, their heart's answer to that question how are you it's a very serious question uh, how are you is, is, is not to be dismissed you know but if I was to ask you to go and design something that ensured people wouldn't be able to do that, it'd be difficult. It'd be more difficult to design it to not be able to answer a basic question like that than it would uh, yeah. to be able. And so, the curriculum, the Irish curriculum, when, when you look at it, I mean, as a primary school teacher, the Irish it blew me away how broad and how inclusive the curriculum was. But I think that the way that it's ad administered through. Um, the inspectorate and through guidelines and through paperwork and all of those things uh, just drags the life out of it. And I think you need to take into consideration when you're doing something difficult, you know, you, you both do things in your own lives that at the start of them, you have a difficult road ahead. But when you know what the goal is, when you have an idea of what the value is, that's waiting for you at the end, you, you penetrate through those difficulties with an awful mm. lot of learning. I don't think there they don't seem to be able to give context to the language and the benefit to our lives. The very, very basic, very, very simple things yeah. uh, that they just don't seem to be able to communicate because they're too focused on the Mokanilak or too focused on poetry or whatever it is that people think the errors are. But they certainly, it was never articulated to me in any shape or form that I was, that I was ever cognizant of anyway, that this type of gold is in the language. Uh, yeah type of goal that you find when you begin to meaningfully interact with it so i think if you yeah to address that would be would be definitely one of the big uh one of the one of the big things but to understand that i think you need to have lived you need to have lived through it for a while so maybe that's a challenge as well yeah because yeah definitely i would i would love to speak fluent irish do you know mm. what i mean and, and you're not alone, Thomas. We meet, you know, we, we meet fucking hundreds of people and you start out on the Irish journey, like people come to you all the time. Oh, I'd love to be, I'd love to be, I'd love to be, I'd love to be. In fact, you hear that so often, like, and it's, and it's, uh, imagine you'd love to be and you don't, you don't, you don't, you're very limited, like, but it's like, and so many people are in the same boat. But my thing with Irish is I only speak it when I'm abroad. It's like, it's like, like this, this, this little hidden, hidden language. No one else is going to notice abroad. When you're getting harassed by people like, uh, like people trying to sell you stuff, and you start speaking in Irish, like I remember when I was in Greece, I had these two uh, Greek ladies come up to me trying to sell me flowers, and I said, and they just walked right away. Mm. Now, I said that out loud because there's Irish lads with me, and they, they laughed their ass off. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But you know, um, that means that's kind of. I'm not sure what to do with that. The only thing that I feel when, we're, when I'm abroad or when I hear the language abroad or listen to other people talking about their experience abroad is a little bit of a sense of pride in the fact that we do yeah. have our own language. And even if you're saying, I'm a Cadigan Bulgarian letterist, at least it's there. I'm better you Irish know. than that. But you, you know. <laughs> yeah, I do. No, you don't. Don't lie. Come on. Uh, I, I went to an Irish uh, primary school, but uh, I actually had to leave it because I couldn't speak English as well as I should have been able to. Okay. And because we did, uh, we did maths to Irish. I was uh, terrible at maths and I cast that on. But um, I had to go to like a normal English speaking uh, school uh, for mm. like six class. And then, yeah. And how so, is it now? How's it now? It's okay. It's not the best. Um, like, I did higher level Irish. I got uh, nearly 70%. But like, even if you get 100%, 
<laughs> or not, not, maybe not 100. If you got something like 80 or 90% in the Irish uh, exam, it really doesn't mean you're good at it. Like it means, like sometimes it means you were able to memorize what the teacher told you, mm, which is yeah. what we learned. We learned, here's an essay, be ready to have this for every single one of these shrap pictures. Don't yeah. have your own idea of what to say for these. Just have, just know you have these sentences for these pictures and we can memorize like an incredible amount. Mm. Now, I kind of went off the cuff a little bit. I still did pretty well. But, uh, yeah. And I mean, I think that I, I, it seems it's it's like I, I, I would, I believe, I suppose, in a bilingual future to some degree. And I think that you can have the language of commerce, the language of business, you know, that's fine for, yeah. for that to be in English. But I think Irish is definitely a, more of a language of the heart, more of a way of articulating yourself, a deeper mm. way of articulating yourself. And something that comes from, I suppose, deep in your in your, in your your DNA, This the language is, is what we, it's in there uh, in a very deep way. And I do wonder sometimes, like I think we're, I think Irish men in particular are probably notorious for this like closed up, everything's grand type, uh, type of um, a way of, of, of navigating the world and I, and I wonder if we spoke Irish would Irish men be like that as much because they see the the men down here in West Kerry and the openness and the joviality they have with things like even talking about sex and stuff like that they don't have the same this like kind of shame Naira shit feeling like they have yeah. this they joke and they're open and they're expressive yeah. and, it, and, it, and it makes everything light and loose you know so it's an idea. I may be way off of it, but uh, I kind of yeah. disagree with you, but not for bad reasons. Mm. I, th I think the reason you have people so open there is because they're open to learning. So they'd be more open people in general. People are closed off saying, I don't want to learn Irish. Why would I learn Irish? They're not going to be open to anyone, really. Maybe they're close friends, but they're not going to be. As I mean, I don't, I don't know who's not open to learning. Like, it's, it's, it, there's, like, people of the city are open to learning. Every, like, everybody's open to learning in, in some way, I would have thought. But, but do you not think, like, some people don't want to hear it when it comes to the Irish language? Look, like, I, I did my, I did my uh, sixth, this sixth year, sick of Irish, never want to touch it again. You ever get that attitude? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's the predominant attitude. But I think that's more to do with the experiences that they've had in the previous 12 years. It's yeah. not... It's not. It's not necessarily anything to do with their character or with their 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 outlook or falshunucht on life. Like it's, it's just because of what's what their ex, their experience has been in the in the learning environment. But I I, I, I definitely don't think that people down here are any more open. We, we we are afforded the ability, I think, to be more open in our day to day lives because there isn't the same threat as is in the city there isn't the same hunger and need to have your own and protect it and and have as much as possible that's maybe not quite as prevalent here because i think people here are definitely aware that we live in a in an abundant place uh, on an abundant island uh, and so you don't need to have that that tannis that tension that goes with yeah. sorting out your little crop or whatever um so i do think we I, I like i find myself for example when i go to dublin um i find myself looking at people and i see sometimes the strain of their day on their face as they pass me and i'm not necessarily used to seeing it and i want to go over and and engage them and talk to them and hug them or do whatever it is that you feel would lighten whatever burden they're yeah. necessarily carrying so and i have to close myself down <laughs> Can't, I can't leave myself open to that level of uh, kind of that, that 
energetic um, outlay to, to, to go and look around and start dealing with everybody. You have to kind of shut down and be about your business because you're 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 too you'd be too bare you know but there is always there's always that adjustment uh when i get there first of remembering to kind of okay you have to you have to lock things down a little bit here pretty sure if, if you walked up to someone in dublin and tried to hug them you'd you'd get knocked out <laughs> i don't think he meant literally go up and no, up. <laughs> no i did i did <laughs> I definitely need <laughs> maybe, power maybe, and a hug, like. maybe a cup of coffee first or something. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, if they start a bit slower and up in the capital, maybe. Take them out to dinner, you know. Yeah, mm. social distance hug or something at the moment. But uh, yeah, I, I, Irish lads are pretty hidden in their emotions. Um, like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty safe to say I'm not really. I, I, I've mm. talked to a lot of people who were really involved in mental health and have had pretty serious experiences and it's opened me up a lot. But, mm. uh, you, you know, you know what, like the lad who's going through heartbreak and he says he's grand. Mm. I'm grand. That's, that's the answer for everything mm. to most lads. If something bad is going on. I think it's certainly less, it's less common in, in our generation. I think maybe sometimes older people look at us and say, hang on there, you're letting go far too much. Um, and there is that constant like generational mm. divide in that. I think like the, the vast majority of young men who I know are far more, uh, have a, a far greater capability, I think, of discerning what's going on and letting go of it or finding groups of, of men where they can actually share outside of getting drunk and having a cry yeah. at two o'clock in the morning or whatever it is there they've, they've they've worked that out that it's quite we obviously always look at the statistics and say look at you young men are are, are 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 in a danger when they pursue life through that keep it closed mentality and so i think we've we've all been forced to open up because of it a little bit at least so I, yeah. I, you, can, you can see that all over the place i mean that's it's it's much more common now yeah well Thank God for that, like, uh, mm. you, you don't want a bunch of people who just can't bear talking about how they feel. That's, mm. that's not healthy at all. Um, I'm, I'm glad in the last few years, Ireland's been kind of hammering down on mental health, making sure we sort ourselves yeah. out. And I think, I think you can't have people like maybe the experience often is in America where they tell you your, your, their whole, their whole life story and every issue in it, uh, two minutes after meeting you. Like, I think there's a, there's definitely a happy medium. I mean, if you have to, there's things you have to go through yourself and there's things you have to learn and it's important that you don't share them. I think because as soon as you share it, it maybe doesn't have a chance to integrate itself in, in you. Like there are, there are, you, you know, you, you don't share your pearls with pigs all the time. Like, you know, you mm. do have to hold on and hold stuff close to you and let it work its way through you but certainly to be macant like to be to be honest when somebody asks you the question and don't let them go to live till you've finished your answer because they've asked you now how are you is a is has to be a sincere question like and that's how i'd feel with definitely the, the majority of the fellas who i'd would i be chatting to down from down here on the phone whatever it is like the first serious question you'd ask would be how are you and you you'd, you'd be answering straight like you know you'd, you'd be answering straight because you know that they want to know and you know that it's a great benefit to you to articulate it out loud yeah. so you can hear it back to yourself almost say okay yeah but that's resolved or that needs more work <coughs> yeah yeah i get that um yeah i love the direction it's going in <laughs> um i love it so far but um 
just going back on uh, what you do uh, when you have these retreats, a big mm. part of it that I've seen is foraging. And I feel like that's, a, that's an art that's been, I do call it an art, an art that's been lost on a lot of people. Like everyone sees blackberries. I don't think most people pick them when they see them, but they think they're cool. Mm. Um, but you go out and you pick a lot more stuff than just blackberries. Uh, I see out there you're collecting seaweed. Don't know what seaweed mm. tastes like. But um, yeah, foraging in Ireland, there's not really a big community for it uh, compared to other places. But what's your experience with foraging? Um, I, I've gone, I had to go through, uh, and I think it's why you would arrive at the, um, that kind of a summation that is maybe not done, for example, as much as Eastern Europe and places where it's, it's, it's much more or common. Or the UK. Or, 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 or the UK. I mean, the UK, I think, is very open in terms of your ability to just to walk in, on country paths and through fields and stuff like that. There's a great protection for a walker in, in England that we don't have here. We're much more into private property and, and all of that stuff. Um, but I would say the first thing that I had to deal with, um, which is definitely a, a legacy issue, is around shame. Um, I think if you were in Ireland in the mid 1700s um, or in the mid 1800s uh, to be foraging, as we would call it now, but to be grabbing food from the wild uh, was a source of shame. Similar enough to the language, actually, was a source of shame to, to be seen, to be spoken, the poor man's language and to be out collecting wild food is poor man's behavior. And, I've, and I have felt I, I felt it. I don't think I feel it so often anymore, but I would feel when I'm in the hedges, like and I have a, a full pile of something on, on my back and I'm picking away at something and a car comes. There is this, this feeling still washes over sometimes um, or has done in the past where I'm like, this is... Am I am I bad? Like, am I wrong? Am I? Is this to be? Is this? Is there's something shameful going on inside of me? And I track the feeling and see. Okay, that's what that is. That's fine. And off you go, and you continue about your day. But to succumb to that would be very very easy as well, and to not enjoy the experience. Then, so the first thing is was to deal with the shame of being out collecting. Um, the second thing is I was very lucky in the woman that I met because she was a keen forager and had an awful lot of information that I wouldn't have had. And so every time we went out, I learned a new plant, a new medicine, a new herb, uh, a new place, a new time, a new weather pattern. It was just always something new to learn. So I was very lucky with that as well. Um, and then it just the notion, I suppose, one of the things that I came down to West Kerry for was to create enough space in in my life that I could see who was inside of me other than the socially constructed version of myself that I was. And reading stuff like uh, Robert Bly, um, Iron John, these kind of books, they talked a lot about the wild man. And I didn't know who the wild man in, in me was because I was quite a well-cultivated social character who played hurling and did all those things. So I had to come to a wild place to find a wild man and the wild man needed sustenance and the wild man gets his sustenance from wild food. Uh, you don't get your sustenance from uh, pesticide-ridden water pumped up perfectly shaped yeah. vegetables in super value. You get the full... Um, you get the full cohort. You get. You, you have to knock. You have, might have to. You might have to knock flies off your food, and to be fine with that, and to know that whatever's on it, isn't going to poison you, or isn't to be something to be afraid of, because there isn't yeah. 
flies in your plate at home, you know. And sometimes you'd even leave them and say, well, look at you got there first, Mr. Spider. You can have that Blackberry. I'm going to move on to the next one. But that's the kind of interaction that you're having, you know. Uh, to be down at the seaside, forage and seaweed, I mean, the benefits of seaweed are, are, are endless in any case. But also just to be out rough terrain off the track uh climbing on rocks falling down your feet wedged in between rocks going into the sea taking your shoes off it, it's just if we spend an awful lot of time talking about mental health like i mean i, I don't know I, i'm a little bit a little bit jaded of the phrase to be honest because out out there like that's just there's just such medicine out there for every aspect of yourself. It's nothing to do with your your mental health because your 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 microbiome is your mental health. Your feet are your mental health. Everything is is your mental health when you go out into it. Um, yeah. But we don't go out into it very often, I would say. Uh, and I certainly didn't. I mean, maybe other people do all the time. I don't know. It doesn't seem to me like they do. And I certainly didn't before I came down here. So foraging, there's many, many different levels uh, to it and uh, all of which as far as I've experienced so far even and probably particularly in bringing up something like historical shame to be able to deal with that so I don't pass it on to my son or so I don't pass yeah. it on to the next generation it's just been it's just been beneficial at every single turn um, and I love now we've got stuff down you know picked from from if it's yarrow or whatever it is we have it infused in oils now and we'll have that throughout the winter yeah. and and that's uh, that sits as a a decorative piece of medicine in our in our kitchen as well you know so yeah it's 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 definitely something that I I, I just I just I just wish more people would do it I don't know why I just think maybe they just like the maybe language Thomas into it but COVID kind of got in the way. Yeah, well, there's time. Oh, shame. No, listen. <laughs> it's not going to be here for much longer, so we don't need to worry yeah. about that too much. Mm. Um, so, because I don't know nothing about foraging, I'll, I'll be honest with you. And George, I remember before COVID, George was going out every other weekend, and he'd send us pictures of stuff he foraged. Like it was cool to look at, you know. Mm. Yeah. What do you or what do you uh, look for? What's your experience uh, with sweet and garlicky stuff? <laughs> Mm. So any any kind of berry, um, uh, and I love picking a bear garlic because yeah, who doesn't like garlic? But um, you know you can saute the leaves, it's all right. Um, and was it near where we are? There's like loads of uh, gorse, and mm. you know like the flowers often smell like uh, coconut. Yeah, yeah. I so just coconut, yeah. Yeah, like. I went out and I tried loads of things. I was like, okay, I may as well know what they taste like. And I, you know, I did up the, uh, the dandelion root to be like a coffee. Not nice. a fan. Uh, yeah. Leaves, yeah. not really a fan. Stem, not really a fan. Uh, moving on to thistle root, not a fan. <laughs> you know, mm. all these things are very bitter, but I, the plants don't want you to eat them. Mm. Um, you know, who would have figured? But uh, you know, at the moment, blackberry and garlic. If I like, I like them, so I'll take them. What about you? Uh, and, and nettle flowers. Yeah, for at the moment, um, one of the probably the best things that we would do is we would go out in the morning and get uh, 
probably a, a mixture of about seven different greens that are still available and then mix them with some wheatgrass that have grown and then add something like a banana or a couple of oranges or something like that for a juice in the morning. So the nettle, the nettle leaves have are, are fresh again at this time of year. Um, sour, sorrel, um, the blackberry on, on the shkiach of the blackberry, you have the leaves, the young fresh leaves, you, we collect yeah. those, the dandelion leaves. When you put them into something and alter the, the flavor a little bit, I mean, it's perfect. Or if you're just adding them to salads with other, you know, with yeah, olive oil like that, that make it more palatable. I mean, you certainly, I'm certainly not going down the side of the road with me head in the ditch, eating everything straight out of it. Like you're, you're adding yeah. it, and making it in with different things. I don't, you know? I, don't think, I don't think people really realize what you're doing. Like I'm not going out there eating the sticks off a leaf, off a tree. Like no, no, but you do that anyway. Like yeah, not <laughs> Fiber, Thomas, it's good for you. Oh, but um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so what would be your favorite wild edible? Uh, definitely up to now seaweed. Uh, I'm I'm trying to broaden my knowledge on mushrooms at the moment and bring. I think that's up. that's that's dodgy. You, you know, you could like, you could die. So I, I, I don't even cost. do foraging. I know there's a lot of poisonous mushrooms, like just I mean, like hanging around the place. They are, they certainly are. But I mean, there, are, I suppose what I did with the seaweed was I found five or six that I could identify and was very certain of. Uh, and I knew that I liked, and I feel with mushrooms, maybe a little bit the same. I, I, even if I don't collect everything that I go out and get, or that I bring back uh, when, once I identify it, um, if there's anything I'm uncertain of and I put it up on, on online and I see if there's a, an identification or not, uh, I think that just, again, to be out there doing it is as good as anything you get from the food itself. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think that, yeah, there is, you're running a gauntlet with mushrooms and it's not to be trifled with, but I, there's there's enough of them there that are clean enough uh, once you get to know them. Yeah, like chicken of the woods. Uh, mm. People love that one. Mm. Puffball is very common around here. Don't think so. Don't think so. We got a brain fung. Uh, what's it called? A brain fungus. I think is. Uh, I don't know the, the official term for it, but it's just like cauliflower-sized brain-looking yeah. mushroom uh, from Clarny National Park last year, and brought it back and dried it, and just added it to things uh, as we went. So you just you you bring the little booklets. You get little pocket-sized booklets. Bring those, and you just. It's it's curiosity as much as anything else. You're satisfying your curiosity. You're getting to know things. You're you're looking at patterns. You're looking at the trees. You're looking at yeah. small details. That otherwise, you know, you wouldn't be doing. So I, I think it, it's to be sampled. Um, I have a friend who who say I was asking about. I wanted to identify a mushroom one day, and he said, "Look at just put it in your mouth and track your instant reaction to it." And your body will tell you if you're if you can listen finely enough. Your body will tell you if that's good or not. I mean, kamikaze attitude to mushrooms in some respects, but I also uh, there's something kind of idealistic. Mm, tastes like dead cap. Yeah, I leave that one there. And can your body do that? Are we are we do we have that ability? I mean, animals have that ability. Uh, I'm imagine I imagine it's something that we have too, but we don't use yeah. it very often because we wait to be certain in the more scientific side of it. Mm. Yeah, that's one thing that has me a bit confused. Like, what are we actually supposed to eat? Like, you go out there and nearly every kind of animal is edible, but nearly every kind of plant will kill you. But realistically, we should probably eat more plants. Um, so it's a weird one. Uh, 
Yeah, but um, have you have you made the mistake of uh, <laughs> of uh, raw elderberries? Not yet. I don't think yeah. I will now. You're looking around. You? No, they're, they're fucking toxic when they're eaten raw. Okay. And there it was like, uh, they look beautiful. I had them on the thing and I was like, like little grapes. Mm. And a while later I was like, I should not have done that. <laughs> Chris, Christopher McCandless style. You're like, I didn't read the right. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I, I, read, I read the first bit of the Wikipedia, not the whole thing. <laughs> Mm. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know the thing with the is the which part of the rhubarb you're not supposed to eat is the leaves. The leaves. The leaf. See, I didn't know that when I made a rhubarb crumble, right? <laughs> now they're serving it to my family, and they said, "Oh, it looks lovely." What, what like, how'd you do it? I was like, "I just put the whole thing up, good, including well, the leaves." Like, it's good. Well, yeah. Hey Thomas, we we need pioneers to go the wrong way, so the rest of us, <laughs> the rest of us <laughs> not eat the leaves of rhubarb. But uh, yeah, the whole thing was thrown out and I ruined Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> How Thomas ruined Christmas. But yeah, um, definitely a wild, a wild uh, lifestyle is, is a fun one. But the, the thing in Ireland, I think you'd agree, is a lot of it isn't allowed. You know, like wild camping isn't legal here. Uh, mm. So that, that's kind of rough. You know, I, I think it, hunting yeah. should be a, a right of people here. But depending on the species, especially bow hunting, because mm -hmm. I think anyone, any fool can kill something with a gun. But um, with a bow, among successful hunters, their success rate uh, per animal is 10%. Mm. So if you're going to do it, make it hard. Mm. Yeah. And uh, you have to learn the skill. It takes a lot of time. Uh, I don't know. I have some strong feelings on that one because I do archery. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose it depends on your definition of allowed like you know um if you're waiting for the government to tell you what you can and can't do then that's fine you'll you'll have to pursue allowedness in a certain way if you're tuned in to what your body needs and what your environment your biosphere the the world around you needs uh you live a very different style of life mm. um in the city obviously that's maybe more difficult uh to do and in the country that's much easier to do so I think if, if you're, and I think we're probably going to come to that point uh, very, very soon. Like there's already the early stage of it in places like Wales with, you know, if you can produce a certain amount of your own energy and if it's living in, in, um, yeah, I suppose, Kohahu, uh, if, you, if you're living in, in, in community with the, the piece of land that you're on, you can build your own house uh, free of planning or free of the restrictions of planning. So I think when we start making our laws and start making our decisions in our own lives based on what's good for both us, our immediate community and the animals, plants uh, and, and general biosphere around us, then that's the law. That's, that's the law yeah. of nature. And that's the, a law that's worthy of listening to. And I think maybe the laws that go against that are laws worthy of ignoring. Um, and that you run the gauntlet then, obviously, you run the, the gauntlet of being imprisoned or you run the gauntlet of, of fines, like you run the gauntlet of dealing with your society then. Um, but it's up to every man to make that decision for himself and for every woman to make that for herself. Uh, but I think it's, I think it's, it's a worthy one to sit down with because far too often, far too many people choose the, the law of the yeah. land and decide the, the, the law of air, the law of the government is, is what matters. Uh, but I probably would disagree with that. We had a comedian on yesterday. 
and just kind of talking about it. We were talking about how uh, society is very childish now, and how you're not meant like everything's PC, so that you're you can't you're, everyone's protected, and no one's like will have to make decisions for themselves, everything like that. Mm. And I find that very um, related to the you're not allowed to build on your own property without asking the government. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. I don't know like, what you. How ridiculous is that? Like, the amount of personal freedoms we have here is very small. Everything, everything's regulated. Um, you know, it, it's a rough one. Mm. Uh, like, like what Jonesy said yesterday. Um, Chris Jones, great guy. Mm. Um, our governments kind of treat us like children. Yeah. Well mm. into our adulthood. Um, well, when he brought up the seatbelt thing, right? Like it, it's a okay, law well, to wear your seatbelt. Well, it's a good law now, and it's good advice. But surely, with God, you've seen enough people die in accidents that you should just know to wear your seatbelt. Yeah, mm. or in the bottom of a pool, like he said, it says "Don't dive in" for like a kiddie's pool. Mm. Um, like obviously that, that shouldn't be there. But um, yeah, and that's why I like the states. For some things, they got a lot of personal freedom. They can kind of do whatever they want. If you have a bit of land, do what you want. And mm. um, here, it's pretty difficult. Like. Uh, even, even like keeping chickens is a bit of a hassle yeah I suppose it, it depends where it depends where it's going and it's quite clear we can see from where it's going uh, is I, I think in the early stages of or maybe mid stages of ecological collapse that the direction we're going in listening and being treated like children like that I mean anyway look at if you if you if you think about that for a second if you've got a significant amount of adult people uh, acting, behaving, and expecting and looking to be treated like children, you're not going to end up in a very adult place that serves us all uh, relatively well. Yeah. So uh, there's, there's, there's very interesting stuff on, uh, again, some of the um, research uh, and some of the stuff written on, 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 on masculinity and the different stages that we get to. Uh, it, 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 we do find ourselves often very much trapped in a in a boyish uh, sense of ourselves, and there's an unwillingness to, based on maybe traumas or based on undigested parts of ourselves, we secretly look to to daddy to provide for us and to provide the boundaries throughout our lives, and if we stay in that place, I think we then. Uh, the suggestibility of government, as we're seeing at the moment, more clearly than ever, uh, is something that's looked for, uh, as opposed to in some shape or form resisted. If it's not what serves everybody in the, uh, to live vibrantly, um, okay. so yeah, I think that I think we we're going to have to move beyond that. I think the first step to moving beyond that is to deal with whatever fear is being drummed up inside of us by uh, governments working on behalf of. Uh, the corporate ideology, which is if we're if we're kept in fear, like where we you can sell stuff to us uh, and you can manipulate and control us. I mean, it's very very basic. And until you address that, until you address that underlying fear inside of yourself, you're going to be suggestible and you're going to be manipulated and you're going to have a life that you feel like you're a victim and all this stuff is happening to me and why is it happening to me and if I was this yeah. it'd be better and if I was that it'd be better if I had that I'd be better. And all of those things die on that rock once you once you once you address it and sit down with it. Yeah. Not an easy thing to do uh, because it leads into maybe dark places that you've been avoiding for a long time. It's not to be trifled with, and it's not. A, I, I'm not saying that it's an easy thing to do, but it certainly it certainly feels like it has to be done. Maybe more so now than ever. Yeah, uh, 
Yeah, even with regards to self-sufficiency in Ireland, the laws around it are very, like, not not in the not in favor of the person. Um, but yeah, grow all your own plants. Uh, you want to keep any kind of livestock? Good luck to you. Um, mm. You want to fish? Okay, well, you can catch a certain amount of these, certain amount of these, certain amount of these. Uh, okay, cool. But like, even with that, the, the level, like, the amount you can fish is pretty low. Mm. I'm sure you, you, you're pretty well versed in that. Um, and yeah, you can even rain, rain collection it's here. It's surprise, yeah. And I mean, even though um, maybe it's in different parts of America, there's there's aspects of freedoms that we don't have here. But it's certainly like I think that there are there are laws in plenty of states that severely restrict, hamper, limit, and maybe even make it totally illegal to to grow in your own front garden or to grow in your own back garden. So I don't know if that's what's down the road for us. I'd imagine something something serious will happen happen in between. But at the moment, the government seem to be doing the bidding of forces that want to ensure that we are as dependent on either the government or the yeah. corporate classes for our, our our sustainability as as people and until that changes we're going to get what we we're, we're signing up for it and then we complain about it but i mean it's what we're looking for you know yeah everyone wants a bit of security but you know that kind of takes away or it normally takes away a bit of freedom mm. um well, yeah i mean Someone who gives up uh, freedom for security deserves neither. Mm, lovely. Yeah, I mean, I think there's the, the, the from from what I can understand, and that makes sense in my own journey. Anyway, there are there are three stages that we pass into uh, the first in our earlier years, maybe up until we're seven or eight, and we're dependent, and dependence is the first stage, and then we realize and establish and find a degree of independence. Uh, and we live that for maybe 10 or 12 years. Some people live it for 50 or 60 years. Uh, some will live it for much less. Um, and the, I, the, the goal, the natural progression is into interdependence. Um, that's why I don't want to become self-sustainable. I want to be interdependent. I want to depend on my neighbor. I want him to depend on me. I want us to feel the benefits of being dependent on each other. And so that interdependence is the crucial next step. At the moment, we're still in this notion of independence. We all have to have our own laptop. We all have to have our own car. We all have to have our own. We all have to have our own of everything to make sure that our little secure bubble is safe and perfect and certain and we know what's coming around the corner and we're able to deal with it. And it's actually an opening up into uncertainty and the uncertainty of, of interdependence is, is very, very real uh, and not always easy to deal with. But until we open up into that interdependence and the notion of interdependence in ourselves, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we will remain in locked in a kind of um, independent, dependent stage which is the childishness that you're talking about uh that 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 childish outlook and treatment uh of us yeah. as being childish because we're not we're not graduating to that third stage yeah mm. what a world we live in and um full of the beauties as well god it, it, it you know yeah. that's certainly what happens sometimes when you look at these things it, it gets a bit morose and negative and you know i can feel my you know my body gets kind of down a little bit and you yeah. know but like the sun is coming in over eagle mountain beside me here and i have to remember that my boy is downstairs and he's in great form uh despite a bit of a sickness so there's always awesome, okay amazing stuff happening all the time as well yeah um we, we've we've talked to a couple of proud fathers in this uh, podcast before mm. you know obviously we haven't experienced it ourselves but 
the happiness we see in some lads' hearts uh, when they get to talk about their kids or either the kid like comes into the room when they're doing a podcast or something. Like it, it is just heartwarming. It's wholesome. It's great. so it's wholesome. It's great to see. Yeah. It's amazing how long you spend as a as a young fella in your twenties trying to avoid it and then when it finally yeah. catches up with you, it's actually probably the greatest the great, one of the great journeys you go on in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Must be so weird though. It just sounds it sounds crazy to me. Mm. But uh yeah, one th- one thing I love to see is, you know, dad's doing a good job. Um I'm very I'm very fortunate. My dad is a great guy. But uh, I, I know I've known people, dads haven't been there. Uh, it does affect them. It, it, it's it's rough. I feel terrible for people who don't have a connection with their dad or mm. their dad's just a, not a good guy, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you see in the experience of it definitely a lot crystallizes and you begin to understand how difficult that is and how easy it is for somebody to slip out of the, the you know, the natural flow of things. Um, so you would, you, I, I find much more maybe empathy towards those men who maybe have struggled in that relationship. Uh, and all you'd be thinking really as you, as, as you're speaking there, Jared is all you're thinking is, I hope you just, you just hope against all hope that the decisions you're making are the right decisions and that you're doing a good job, you know, uh, and yeah. anybody's view of that from the outside, even though people are very quick to offer you their view from the outside, it's kind of irrelevant, you know, it's between you and the boy and, uh, and you have to really, yeah, there's a lot of trust in it, but it's beautiful. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it is beautiful, mm. but Going back to beauty again, um, so Ireland isn't as wild as it once was. The world isn't as wild as it once was, but uh, definitely with your wild retreats, you kind of get a, a glimpse of what it used to be like and so on. So for anyone who doesn't know, could you give us a rundown of what actually happens during these retreats? Yeah, um, I mean, people generally make big journeys to come down. So the Friday night tends to be about uh, them landing uh, landing in, I do uh, a yoga nidra practice, which is a two or three hour value of sleep in a 20 minute kind of body relaxation, visualization technique. And that's designed specifically to bring them down into the place that they are and into their bodies and into the environment they're in. And then to also address the the, the break that's there with the language uh, and the healing that's required to 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 put that in front of them in a way. The Saturday is just helter-skelter, full belt, all day outside, out in the elements. Uh, we play, depends on the tides, because we have seaweed foraging, and we play hoarding on the beach, and we need space on the beach. So it depends on the tides. We, we move things around. But we start with a yoga and a meditation at half seven in the morning, a breakfast, uh, as much foraged foods as possible, or else organic, uh, uh, pretty much everything. Um, and then it's down to the beach to play hurling. We do wild food foraging of seaweed and a wild food foraging walk uh, with medicines and, and we'll make, bring it back up to the, the hostel and, and make the different um, salads or creams or ointments or whatever it is we're doing on the particular yeah. retreat. Uh, and then we'll have a bit of lunch outside, maybe after the seaweed foraging. And then we go back up and begin to prepare for the sweat lodge. Uh, sweat lodge is an, an old 
uh, it's it's most primarily I think um, a native Indian practice but there are certainly records of being done here in different guises and maybe for different reasons the native Indians I don't know um, or the Native Americans um, but for us anyway it's a ritual a straight up uh, a straight up ritual and we don't kind of hide the fact I suppose yeah. it's a, a, a cleansing and a purification ritual where we build a Sally bender um, with a hole in the middle of it, we have a fire just outside with hot rocks. We burn the fire for two or three hours, uh, put hot rocks, well, they start off cold, but we put rocks into the fire. Uh, and then we do two to three rounds where the 20 or however many are on the retreat will sit in the the enclosed sally bender with blankets and, uh, and, and tarps and everything we can enclose it with. So there's as much heat as possible trapped inside. And then we all sit and what happens next? I mean, depends on each one. There'll be singing, there'll be sharing, talking, uh, meditation, whatever it is. And it's just a, a purification kind of a ritual. Um, Sunday morning, similar again, start off with a, a guided meditation, yoga, breakfast, and then maybe um, maybe it might be the wild foot foraging walk on that day. It depends on the breakup. Um, and then we'll do a closing circle up on the cliff uh overlooking count Chabale, um at the tip of, of just on the uh on Slayhead drive uh close to where the the hostel is so it's um it's it's out it's out it's out in it like you're out in it all the time and it's fantastic to see people who aren't out in it all the time come down and they come down with the fear and trepidation with the language and with having to be out in it but once they break through the discomfort that they have in both speaking the language, because the language is, I mean, we'll do a couple of Kirkle Koros and stuff like that, but really it's just about, look at whatever you have, you have, invite whatever's down deep in you to come out and struggle through till you get to that point. And that's generally what people do. Um, they'll feel discomfort with things. They won't be happy about things, but we just encourage them as best they can at any time where a difficulty arises to observe the difficulty as opposed yeah. to be the difficulty. And once they kind of observe it, they realize it's attached to something that they need to deal with anyway. And they break through uh, some form of blockage that they've had in, that's, that's pertinent to them in their lives because they've taken a, they've gone on a journey to come down to us. Like they've gone on an Imram, they're looking for a healing of some sort. Um, and so generally it comes up because that's what, when you commit to your, when you commit to your healing journey, it, what the medicine you look, you need comes up, you know? Um, so that's generally what happens. Um, the feedback is, I suppose, one of the things that I was looking for initially was that, um, there was a potential to get in touch with a source of energy, a physical energy, not not anything mental or spiritual or anything else, just a source of physical energy that would assist them live their lives more fully. Yeah. Um, that the language would unlock, that the food would unlock, the experience would unlock, whatever it was, I, I didn't mind what unlocked it, but as long as it unlocked it. And the overwhelming... Uh, feedback is 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 definitely of that uh it's unlocked something for people uh, yeah. and that's really what that's really kind of what it's about it's not about the language or it's not about foraging it's about engaging with all of those things for for more of you to come to the surface uh that that then is accessible to you to do things you want to do with your life which require great energy you know just with regard to what you're saying um just 
happen way back for a second. With that, like, we, we play Harland too. How could I leave that out? We play, geez, we play Harland on the beach. Wild Harland, how could I leave that one out? That's the other thing we do, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I think you said at the start. Oh, okay. So, when you're getting your, uh, your break, you know, like everyone's going out and they're, they're foraging for what they can find. But if not, if there's not much, like you're doing the organic stuff, do you like just go with native things, like things that are native to Ireland? Like you wouldn't be adding spuds or anything. Or what? What do you? What do you do? We've gotten our. I mean, the first couple of years we got our veg from the lads in my hill. Uh, there's a grower locally, Sophie Seal, who has a market garden. Uh, we grow quite a bit ourselves. Some of the lads brought food this time who were on the retreat. That was all used. I mean, we'll have. We might have like. You know, when you're cooking for 25 people, you've got maybe a dal or a curry or or something like that. That's not native Irish, native yeah. Irish fare. But we go with what with kind of what's on on offer, um, what comes to us, and and then yeah. we we go down to Irish Whole Foods just before it. They do a, a sell off of produce on a Saturday morning where you get. Um, yeah, or, organic lentils, oats, dry stock, rice, all of that stuff, and you yeah. get it for 25 50% off. Flowers, we bake our own bread for it, all of that kind of stuff. So, so it's all vegetarian? It's all vegetarian, yeah. It's all vegetarian. Okay. I mean, if we could source, I would have no, I would have no issue. Like, if there's a cull in Killarney and we can get some deer. I mean, I had a, I had a cull here a few days ago myself of uh, six chickens, uh, cockerels, young cockerels that needed to be. Um, they, there was no home for them, so we we killed them and plucked them and just. It's a tough them. job, but uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's tough but enjoyable, and so I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be, I'm not, yeah, I wouldn't be of um, of the vegetarian mindset necessarily, but I would, you'd see that you wouldn't want to be supporting the, the the the, the meat industry as it stands. I mean, mm. that's that, that's that doesn't make as much sense. I get you. Mm. I, I think we in all the world, I think we're one of the better ones. In all fairness, compared to the United States or China, we have. Vastly better one, especially compared to Brazil. Doesn't the United States like spray all their chicken and is it chlorine? I believe. What's the science behind that? Cra- it, I, I don't know. This it, is it, like, crazy. I don't know what it is, but don't like, agree with their food. Ours is a bit nicer, or we're not nicer to our cows, and so mm. on. But I, I, I understand your perspective. Mm. But just going back to the last part of the you answer before, you said you normally get like an overwhelmingly good response from people. Yeah, but I'm assuming there might have been at least one or two negatives, and have there been any? Um, you don't need to go into so, specifics, like. Well, I mean, the 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 general feedback has been like we encourage we're encouraging every time we look for feedback in okay, what can we do? What can we do better? Yeah. Um, some of the things that have come up there have been around, like the the notion of ignite and sustain i mean you've ignited something but now can we sustain it should we have yeah a monthly zoom call should you send us packs with foraging tips and techniques or whatever uh and they're all there that that's 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 definitely somewhere we could develop um the the issues that people have had i think have fallen thankfully under the bracket of uh personal learnings um there's been a couple of people who, That's what I was thinking, yeah. uh, who have been like you know they might be 65 playing hurling for the first time ever uh climbing down on rocks climbing down 
cliff faces, walking them along to get seaweed, slippy rocks, stuff like that. Uh, and they registered their discomfort most certainly with us. Uh, but they have done, the, the twice that it's happened, they have done it as we would have dreamed that they would, which is it brought up this in me and I saw this. So yeah. they, if they have had it, they've held it back and maybe they have uh, in the aftermath when they come back to reality and they feel maybe there was a gap between the perfect world we created for them in a weekend versus the reality of day-to-day life I don't know but so far it's been yeah there's nothing that stands out uh, Jared to be honest thankfully yeah okay that's that's good Um, it's good to hear no I was hoping for like one crazy story but (laughs) I mean we did I did lock a woman in the hostel one time uh <laughs> i uh oh, Lord. I, I, yeah yeah I, can't, I, can't, I i drove my i had to go up in the van uh the, i think it was on the first or the second one and i had to go up in the van and the saturday night with the sweat lodge i'm just full belt uh because you're preparing food for down there afterwards mm. and i'm sorting the fire out and i've built and i've done everything you know we've there's a, a core of us who've done everything ourselves so it's all go um and the third round of the sweat lodge was going on and i had that time to go up in the van and get uh, the food to bring back down and I was driving up the road in the, in the pitch black obviously with the lights on but all of a sudden I heard this voice in the van in the back and there was a woman who had just maybe gotten tired and had come up and sat in the van uh, and so now I was bringing her back up to the hostel and I said look at, I, I, I have to go up you're welcome to come back down with me and she said no look at I'm, I'm tired I'm going to go to bed so I said that's fine and brought her up and brought the food back down and then when we got back later that night she had obviously woken up in the hostel and was the only one there. We were all down having food at the sweat lodge and she was completely disorientated uh, and registered her, her, her anger with me on that one. But I felt she'd cho- chosen it. So I, I, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't entertain it for too long. Like, Well, like she told you, she was just going to stay back, but then give out to you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. you dick. No messing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what the crack was there, but uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know yourself, and you start dealing with the general public with stuff like if you can yeah. get some interesting, yeah, so different. Like you get such yeah. stuff back to you. If you if you're dealing with a bunch of people, it's bound to happen, especially with the circumstances you're putting them through. It's very unique yeah. to them, very new to them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, shit, you, shit can happen. You see it, like you see it on the Friday all the time this reticence like the language brings up a lot of fear for people and once they're once they're in that position of fear they become a little bit like a bit needy and grabby and a a little bit like maybe abrasive or it's it's very very subtle i mean the people who come on the retreat are bloody beautiful all the time but you you sense you can sense their tension um Mm -hmm. and it's it's around the discomfort of the situation but of course we're welcoming down their tension because we know that's the first step so you don't you're not battling it you're not entertaining it really yeah. you're just kind of allowing it to be and then bring them down slowly and then you have them with you and once they're with you yeah it's it's gold from there you know yeah yeah and uh, just our final parting uh, question so ireland is extremely deforested um you know we talked about this before we started recording it's uh one of the most deforested uh, countries in europe so like what, what do you think we can do to try to get Ireland wild again? I know like there's, there's grants for people to try and get forestry going, but 
after 15 years it's worth nothing and the place just gets cut down mm. like what can we do to even get the government involved in making more national parks getting the place back um i mean it's such a it's there's so much there's so much in that because the setup at the moment because we take our we take much of our uh, commands from Europe um, and because things are maybe on, on, on what is a local level brought out to a European level. So you grow this and you have Sitka spruce and you have cows and you grow barley and we, and we section stuff off. And then wherever those things are grown, you've got a cash crop in that area. And so the land is uh, becomes more valuable for that thing. And then local people who are trying to maybe just grow a few spuds and onions or whatever it is and have a little bit of a holding for themselves that becomes out of their reach in a way because it can be hard to make money against the people who just want a carbon sink for example down in west kerry so they can spray two kilograms more of pesticide in their land in carlo um so that whole the whole imbalance in the forestry industry at the moment and the ridiculous grants that are available okay they're making I, 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 what I would call tacit efforts to uh, reforest with, with, with natives and stuff like that. Really, we're looking at the, the, the Sitka's our cash crop and there's great grants available for it. No real use for the trees, but there's great grants for it um, other than what's other than what, what's exported, probably. Yeah. Um, so, like, when, when you get into that level of, like, the entire... The entire capitalist structure and how it plays itself out on our little our little island on the frontier of the western frontier of Europe is very hard to say. It's 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 above my it's above my abilities, I suppose, to be able to yeah. articulate what's required. I definitely think uh, on a personal level, if you can make some kind of connection with the notion of what a tree is, what a yew tree is, what an oak tree is, what an ash tree is, what benefits they have given us down through the centuries, what benefits or oh, the feelings that you can have around them, um, to be out with them, in them, climbing them, on them, that type of a, that type of a, a relationship with them, uh, you're maybe much more likely to take up its case then uh, like I, I would argue and I have done in the past in, within the G, in GA circles that surely in the time of the ash dieback disease there's no group of people more important to take on the case of the ash tree than herders I mean it's given them it's given them yeah. given them their game for, for yeah. giving them their uh, their ability to articulate themselves for hundreds and hundreds of years so surely when the ash is suffering we would take up that case on behalf of the ash tree is that possible or are we going to stay in our you know we have to win this game and we have to just train here they, they could do it they definitely could uh, um so i think when the i suppose the the vested interests of society of people just of people and organizations and communities when they get together with a shared vision of what they want their area to be and what they want in their area not maybe to have 20 acres of what looks like chernobyl after um a sitka spruce plantation is cut down i mean it's just it's it's, it's that's happening to our world. local forest um but it's happening it everywhere happening everywhere i mean it's happening everywhere and we still continue to do it and still plant more and individuals yeah. do it okay they're in that i have to protect and have to have my my earnings and as understandable as it is it poses a serious difficulty for us going forward and trying to uh, reforest our in our, our our country um so yeah like 
it's on so many levels like you look at the roads you look at you look at what's pulled down you look at the times of the year you look at the burning off you look just so many of our practices are geared towards i think a more scientific practical this is what we need to do this is when we need to do it this is this is these are the rules and the laws and this is what europe needs and this is what the government says we need and all of those things it's like i, I suppose you'd, you'd always be lobbying and hope that the government will 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 we'll do, do a turn on, on on these things and they're starting there's tentative steps for sure uh it's too but, late to start it's it should i should you know, you know they say the best time to plant the tree was 20 years ago mm. but the second best time is today yeah 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 i mean it quilta like quilta yeah come across people who work for Quilta arguing uh, or putting forward the facts online of the amount of natives that they're planting at the moment or the amount of glories that they're they're funding who are growing oak trees or growing yeah. ash or whatever um but a, a, a little bit like a lot of things that the government come out with they're definitely seem to be more in the optics uh, and it's like oh we can show you this but behind the scenes you know like this is where well, what's in your area like look around what's in your area look how many wild places are in your area look what's happened look what kind of trees are being planted like it's we're not dumb like we see what's going on around yeah. us uh, and that's um, that anecdotal evidence is is enough for us. So it's it's multi layered, but I think it starts probably for it starts. I think for each of us, it starts with making some form of an actual connection with 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 with, with trees in some meaningful way. But that's a bit pie in the sky, maybe a bit hippieish, and it's not enough, or it's not what people want. But I don't know what else you can do. Sometimes when everything else seems to be going one way, you just have to take. Be, be bold and go the other way and see what happens you know definitely um yeah i agree with ba not ba not basically everything you just said <laughs> yeah um I, I know from my own experience i think outdoor sports is a great thing for us um uh, i've been doing a treaty bow hunting for six years you've been doing treaty bow hunting treaty bow hunting so it's Bowing things illegal in Ireland, but it's like treaty targets. They're like fake animals, like a fake bedded deer, uh, wild hog kind of thing. So wow. I, I had to visit a lot of forests in Ireland. Um, you know, one of my favorite is like a a really old forest in Mayo. Um, mm. And then there's ones up in, uh, in Westmead. Um, good one. There's, there's a few good ones down in Wexford. Um, and there's a Dumbrody one. And that's, mm. and that's a lovely course. But um, yeah, getting to see all these trees is, is great, but every now and then when you hear, oh, that, that archery club's gone now because the forest got cut down, you know, it, it affects you directly because, okay, well, number one, we can't go shoot there anymore. Number two, okay, there's no more trees there. Um, okay, they can't exactly just plop them somewhere else. Um, mm. And like it's happened to my own uh, place at the moment. I've been able to shoot in there for a while now as a result. Mm. Uh, so I uh, like a invested interest in this stuff anyway. Mm. We've actually uh, been talking about that recently, me and you, Jared, with yeah. like um, newspapers. What about that? In our in our course, we're we're going to do media studies, and we talk a lot about like, oh, yeah. do we do we need newspapers anymore? Like, there's actual no need for physical copies. Yeah, a, like, a lot of in media studies we're talking about that a lot. Yeah, uh, mm. you know, news being a kind of media, like. Mm should there ever be like should we have anything printed out anymore 
Mm. At, the at the moment, the answer is kind of yes, because it's very difficult to tell someone's seventh-year-old granny, here's the iPad, here's how it works, here's how you find your news. Mm. Um, you know? So, for yeah, new people... I, like, I don't know, like, I, I think that if you... If newspapers ceased to print tomorrow we'd still have the same difficulties we oh, have yeah. with forestry in Ireland I think that the problems run I think we should we should certainly have newspapers but we just we should have far more than two percent uh, of which is maybe I don't know two percent of cover that we have at the moment uh, we certainly should have an awful lot more um, tree covered in that like we should be much more yeah. invested in that for the yeah. benefit it's, it's kind of disgraceful uh, how, mm. how bad we've let Ireland go it's basically just green fields green fields and a couple of big towns in the city it is uh, mm. it's actually disgraceful um, yeah yeah I, I suppose there's I see you know it's a Fergal Smith and the lads in, in my hill I think Tolive Bio maybe as well have a forestry arm and there are people who are kind of saying look at I'm not waiting for the grants. I'm not waiting for you to tell me I can grow an ash here, I can grow an oak here, or I, I, I can only grow a sickness spruce here. I'm just going and I'm doing it. They're investing their time and their energy and their money in doing what needs to be done. And I think that's the great thing. good on them. We can still do that. Like, you know, we can still do just what needs to be done. We don't need, we don't need to be steered through grants to do it. It's beneficial if the grants were far, if they were much more aimed at, you know, native broadleafs or whatever it is. But the, the conditions are as it is. If we're serious about it, I suppose we, we, we take up the case and we do what needs to be done, you know. Yeah, um, we, we do this thing on Twitter every now and then where we say, like, for how many likes this post gets, we'll plant a certain amount of trees. Mm -hmm. At the moment, Thomas has to, Thomas has to plant 10 out of plant 10. Um, or that we challenge most people to plant trees. We went with an apple tree, uh, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I, I enjoyed doing that, but it's kind of disgraceful when I see, like, how little people actually did it. We nominated 30 people and one person did it. Mm. And uh, think, these are people we talk to all the time. So it wasn't like I tagged Donald Trump to go plant a tree. It was I, someone I talked to on the daily. I suppose I, I, to, to bring it uh, right back around to the Irish, one of the workshops that we've done over the last couple of years, myself and Siobhan, is uh, the roots of the Irish language, pun intended, uh, is in Om, and the Om, the, the roots of the Om language are, are in the trees. Um, and to bring the, 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 the 13 trees to give people their, their, their dates of birth and the tree that goes with them in that time, like my, I'm January, so that will be the birch, uh, and the characteristics of the birch and the type of soil that it grows in and its uh, its life cycle and things like that tell you a certain, uh, give away certain traits and characteristics about the tree and you find when you read them that there may be things that you share in, in common with the birch yourself, you know, um, and that the language is rooted uh, in the trees, I think, tells you an awful lot about the value of the language and it tells you an awful lot about the importance of the trees to our psyche, our national psyche, um, if it thinks its way through Irish a little bit more in us, and the possibilities that are there for it, and that's been a glorious, that's been a glorious discovery. 
like the apple tree, you planted yeah. the apple tree. Good one to start with for the apple tree is associated with abundance. Uh, I think maybe the end of August September is its time, and that's the, the, the tree of abundance. So these things have, um, I suppose, uh, an energetic sway that is that's it's it's a worthy it's it's a worthy level to deal with uh your life i think um a little bit difficult if 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 it's not your tendency but you can certainly come to it more and more by just asking simple basic questions you know yeah so uh i feel like we touched on everything else uh we said we talk about unless there's anything you want to finish on um no i mean <clears throat> Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't know. It's 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 always easy to respond to questions about things, I suppose, because sometimes uh, you just need an in, you need an invite. I, I find anyway for other people it's different. Other people just can 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 talk straight uh, f- without being asked anything. But I find that I need an invite to, to talk about something. Uh, yeah. it's it's, <clears throat> it's lovely to get to be just to, to be asked uh, and I know then you send it out and maybe people listen to it and engage with it in some way and if there's I guess ideas that people have or things they want to connect on or think there's something that can be done to yeah. get to get in touch with, with either Wild Irish Retreat or with me personally um, online I'll happily I'll happily engage with with anybody who who wants to who sees possibilities um because there are plenty that's the great thing like there there's endless possibility and creativity is certainly the response to the draconian measures measures that we're currently feeling from um from a government level like we have our creativity that's completely and utterly untouched and we can still go out and, and and use that and we always have that possibility and that responsibility uh to use that so that's it. I can dream a dream division and, and, and bring people as many people with you as they can to help you realize it. Uh, and, and if I'm one of them, get in touch. But if I'm not one of them, find the people who are and get in touch with them because we, we're all anybody, you know, we're all, we're all waiting for the invite in a way as well. Like, yeah. Um, now, even if you're a statesman or stateswoman, like most of our listeners are, mm. I, I know most is are like at least 4% Irish. If you're ever in Ireland, I reckon it's a good idea to give the Emirate a visit because um, fucking hell, it looks so cool. <laughs> and look, you've heard the whole podcast. Like it just, it's a great retreat and it kind of gets you away from the stress of life, the way things are at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So we all need a wild Irish retreat. But uh, go. where can people find you if they want to, you know, keep up with you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, where can people find you on social media? WildIrishRetreat.ie is the website for Wild Irish Retreat. And then I'm on, yeah, far too many of the social media sites such as uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And I think Dear Middling will probably, yeah, you, should, you shouldn't be too far away if you type that in. If you awesome. spell it somewhere right. <laughs> All right. So thanks everyone for listening or watching. Uh, make sure to like, comment, subscribe. Tell your grandma about the podcast. Take handy. Look at this.